0: on today's females and basketball podcast i talked to vanessa devlin and she has got an amazing story. This WNBL referee, three-on-three referee, it's, it's its mind-blowing the things that she went on to do and what she's still currently doing. We'll learn about the Tokyo Olympics. We'll learn about what makes three-on-three so special and what's it like being a ref and some of the challenges that she's overcome. You'll learn about resilience and you'll learn about why this pathway should be chosen by more people. It's a brilliant listen, and hopefully it gets you into the sport of basketball. Hello and welcome to another episode of the My Basketball Pathway podcast. My name is Braden Green and I am your host, but more importantly, I am joined by yet another person in basketball. Please welcome Vanessa Devlin. Hi. A bit nervous?
1: (laughs) Just a little bit. No,
0: it's it's all right. Vanessa, it's great to have you on. Thank you for coming on. It's a real honor. And I guess, how did you get into basketball?
1: Uh, so I sort of started uh, when I was um, playing when I was five years old. Um, my dad played as well. Um, so I just followed his footsteps. And when my dad used to uh, go out and play basketball, I was one of those little kids that would run on the court during halftime and you know shoot at the baskets. And there was a referee there that kept on um, coming up to me and saying, why don't you referee? Why don't you referee? And one day he came up to me, gave me a rule book and a, a phone number, um, and the rest is history. So I end up doing the course and, um, yeah, end up becoming a referee for it.
0: Well, that's it. You've let the cat out of the bag. You've beaten me toward you. Of course, we've got a <laughs> massive career as being a ref, and it's real honest. So I guess, why did you decide to become a ref? It's a very rare path, but a much-needed one.
1: Yeah, like honestly, it was just because this guy just kept on pestering me. (laughs) Um, Didn't really know what it involved or anything like that. And then, of course, you know, when you get that, you know, five bucks at the end of the game, you're like, hey, this isn't too bad. Um, And then the more I refereed, uh, I was getting a few opportunities, um, just fell in love with the game. Um, And then, yeah, just uh, decided to keep on building my career over it. And in the end, I had to make a decision either. Play or referee, definitely had more of a future in refereeing. So I decided to go ahead with that. So
0: what was it like reffing your first game? Do you remember what what happened? Do you remember how you did even?
1: Um, I don't think I actually did too badly. Um, I remember stepping out on court and I thought someone was going to be next to me, sort of like a shadow, and there wasn't anyone. (laughs) And I did not know what I was doing. Um, but luckily the person I was referring, she wasn't too bad. Um, uh, she helped me out. She pointed me in different directions and then, um, yeah. So once I sort of started getting the field for it, did a few more games and, uh, yeah, just, yeah, started getting used to everything. So,
0: so you talk about the courses that you did and everything. So I guess, how did you become one? Obviously he came up and like, you know, just kept saying you should, you should be a ref, but. What does that involve? What are the next steps? Because, you know, we don't hear about this pathway very often.
1: Yeah, so it's probably different now than what it was 20-odd um, years ago. Um, but the sort of is same things align. You go to a course, um, you go through all the rule books.
0: So you talk about the courses and everything. You talk about how you got, you know, into it. You like talking to people and stuff like that. But what does that involve? Is it going to courses, as you were saying, or is it just simply watching games and learning? How did it all come about and what did you do to get there?
1: Yeah, so um, first of all, you go to uh, your course. You end up going to about three or four weeks uh, worth of courses where you learn different types of rules um, and they teach you just the basics. They then um, do some on-court um, stuff with some like real mini 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 balls so you know you're not going to get yelled at or anything like that (laughs) they just make sure you go into the right positions and um, then you get graded at the end if you're good enough they give you your level o Um, and then yeah you just start refereeing at a stadium that will have you and then um, if they think you're very good then you end up going to another course um, and then you just keep on progressing that way so how
0: many courses are there do you know
1: um so back then um yeah 20 odd years ago there was uh your level uh zeros one twos and threes um but these days there is um we've added a few more into the system so there's your level Os, one a's one b's one c's threes um and then of course you go national and internationally
0: yeah and does it take a while to learn them or is it fun learning? Is it tricky? What, I mean, what's that experience like trying to learn it for the first
1: time? Uh, well, luckily I did have that playing background. So um, I did at least have an understanding of the game. I think if you didn't have an understanding of the game, it would probably be a lot harder because you're pretty much learning everything about basketball. Um, so a lot of the rules that I was actually getting taught, I already knew what they were, which was good. Um, the things I sort of learned was, you know, mechanics of where to stand on court um, and signals as well of how to present to the, be- uh, the bench and stuff like that.
0: So what are exactly some of the competitions that you've officiated in? Like, can you give people an idea of how many, you know, competitions you've done or what you do on a daily basis?
1: Yep. Um, do you mean back in the past or now?
0: Well, let's oh, go, let's go from the past. Let's go from the start.
1: Yeah, so I started off with mini ball and then uh, went into Saturday morning competitions. Um, unfortunately, I still played at that stage as well. So my Friday nights, uh, it was very hard to referee and play at the same time. But once I sort of got my experience up, then I would sort of ref the first two games and then play afterwards. Um, I did some seniors on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. Um, and then one day I had... Uh, who was the sort of basketball coordinator for referees back then, Rod Ridley, just knocked on my door and asked me to go to a under-14 uh, national j- championships, which I had no idea what they were. <laughs> but it meant going to a hotel for a week um, and just refereeing basketball for the week. So I said, yep, sure, no problem. Let's do it. Um that week was just an, a real eye-opener um, of what I can achieve um, and what you can do with your refereeing. So ever since then um, I kept on applying for more national championships. Luckily I was um, able to go and um, I was quite successful in refereeing in those championships as well. I got um, through 14s, 16s, 18s and 20s. I refereed got medal games which was really good. Um, and yeah, so... My junior careers refereeing, I was quite successful, which was good.
0: It's an incredibly long career by the sound of this as well, just what you've been able to do, this constant step up and you've been able to handle the pressure and everything. Do you find yourself one of those people that can handle pressure really well? Or?
1: Yeah, um, so I think I can handle pressure really well. Um, being playing um, as well, refereeing, it was a constant um, for me. Like It was go to school, um, then go to training, then going to referee. So it was never really a break. It was just one thing after another. And I just sort of took everything on board and uh, kept on going with it.
0: Do you think the pathways that they've got now for referees is a great pathway to do? Does it is it developed to be, you know, people to be better referees really, you know? Is it a, a good system? I mean, what do you think of all that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely changed, um, you know, from back in the day. There's definitely a lot more coaching involved, which is a big help. Um Unfortunately, you know, back then I didn't have referee coaches on every single game but when I did it was, yeah, fantastic. These days as well we've got a lot of video that we can review ourselves and stuff like that uh, which we definitely didn't have um, back in those days. So it was pretty much when you did a game you may have got a piece of paper saying what you did right and what you did wrong um, but, I mean, you couldn't really review calls or anything like that where these days you can have a referee coach um, actually videotape your game and then you can actually go through it together and say look what you've called here this is where you should have been etc um, etc et so I think it's it's a lot more development uh, these days than what it was which is really good um, and I think a lot of referees are open to that as well um, they're forever asking hey I don't know me specifically there say hey can you come out and watch me referee what do I need to work on, um, which is really good. And what's even better is there's a lot of girls that are coming to me and and actually asking, look, you know, we need help in this area. Um, we need help talking to coaches. We need help in this. What do you do? Um not only as a referee, but a female referee as well. So
0: so obviously you enjoy teaching, I'm guessing, if you're willing to do that for people. Um, so do you enjoy it or and why do you enjoy it, I suppose, helping out the next generation of refs?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely love um, teaching the young kids um, and a lot of it is – I know what I went through growing up, so I know what hurdles there are, I know what advantages you can have in life, um, you know, what opportunities there are out there as well. So I love, um, yeah, definitely teaching the kids um, how to make that next step and, you know, and getting them to grow. But the most thing that I look for is when they take it on board um, and when you can actually see them on one game to another and how much they've improved, um, that's just what I love saying. It's, yeah,
0: it's just great. Do you have a specific teaching style that you like to do or are you more a communicator or are you more a practical one that gets on the court with them? What do you like to do when you're coaching someone?
1: Definitely a bit of both. Um, I do like to actually get on court um, and show them Couple of times while the game is still going, I'll quickly jump on court like during you know two shots or something. Um, you know, it's not ideal, but at least I can show them right then and there. You need to stand here, and they're like, "Yep, cool, no problem." Um, but yeah, if I f- I feel that if you just sort of say, "Hey, you need to do this," they don't really understand. So I go on court, I show them, position them in the right place. Um, yeah, I find yeah getting hands on is a lot a lot easier than just you know showing with pictures and diagrams.
0: Do you think being an official has really improved your communication skills? Because I imagine that is a large part of being the ref.
1: Oh, huge. Like if you speak to my parents, when I was younger, I was the shyest kid in the world. I would not say two words to anyone and then when I started refereeing, it just got me out of my shell um yeah I would actually start talking to people and it opened me up like I wouldn't be doing this right now if um yeah if I was a refereeing because yeah I didn't talk to anyone even at school I yeah I was just ruled the shy person wouldn't say a word so
0: so you really came out of your shell didn't
1: you 100% yeah 100% yeah but in saying that now I still am actually a really shy person and quiet. like if you know me you can't shut me up but if you meet me for the first time, yeah, it still takes a while to, to warm up to you. <laughs>
0: so do you think basketball then has like not just developed your communication skills but your personality a bit? has given you a bit of a community, I suppose?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, you know, I just think about how I was, you know, in the past to where I am now, definitely grown as a person. Um, and I think I am a different person but definitely for the better. Um, you know, it's, yeah, like I said, it's definitely opened up. Me—that's for sure. What
0: would you say is the most rewarding thing of being the ref?
1: Um. Oh God, that is a, that is actually a tough one. I mean, rewarding to do something that you're good at and to su- succeed—that um, is a good feeling. Um, to go out there um, and also know that players and coaches trust you as well to do a good job um, is a good feeling. Um being able to travel the world um, yes. is a big one. Um, travelling the world, doing something you love and then seeing the world, meeting new people um, and experiencing this just for, you know, when I first started was a hobby um, and this has turned into a hobby that's uh, not half bad.
0: Can you tell us some about that, travelling the world? Because you have been to some... Quite a lot of places. Let's yeah,
1: say um, definitely Yeah, been to quite a few places. Um, so my first international trip was over in Italy um, right. and I thought that would be maybe my one and only and I was like, yep, this is awesome, this is great. I then... Um, Got asked to go for my FIBA license in New Zealand, um, and you know New Zealand's just around the sort of <laughs> over the sea a little bit, but it was still you know what I need my passport, so it's a it's, it's another stamp. Um, but then as soon as I got my FIBA license, that's where it sort of all all took off, which was really good. Um, got to see um, places like Turkey. I've been to Netherlands. I've been to Puerto Rico. Uh, so many places in China I've I've been to. Um, Some places I haven't even heard of. I went to a country called Turkmenistan. Wow. Which I was like, is this even a real country? Um, And then when I sort of looked about where it was and it was like next to Afghanistan, I was like, oh, my God, is this actually going to be safe? So it's but you go there and it's just like, any other place it really does it just opens up your eyes to learn about different cultures as well um, different foods um, and even different uh, aspects of refereeing as well I mean everyone has their different styles so you know meeting these different people different referees and you learn a lot a lot off of them as well so
0: so I think it's fair to say basketball is a very culturally accepting sport in that isn't
1: it definitely yeah Um, you know we all sort of have that one goal in mind and um, you know, we're actually a really, really close group. Um, you know, there isn't much, you know, negativity or anything when you go to these uh, tournaments. And then, you know, when you go back home, you're still in contact with them. You still, you know, see each other's games through videos and stuff like that. So you're always in contact with them.
0: That's lovely. So you've really made, like, a lot of friends, it's fair to say, from this as well, from these experiences, not just going over the world but just being a ref in general
1: yeah definitely i mean you know i got friends throughout australia um and uh yeah throughout the world that you know they they will offer anything to you like with COVID, uh, unfortunate at the moment i've I was almost stranded in sydney and i had referees saying hey you've got a place to stay um and even uh internationally as well they said if you ever get trapped come to here wow. and you know you've got a house so yeah no they're definitely a family that's for sure
0: do you have a favourite place that you've gone to be the ref?
1: Uh, probably my favourite place would be Puerto Rico. Yeah? Um, the, the country was beautiful. The play, uh, the people were so so genuine, so nice. Um, it was about – it was a uh, 3x3 um, world champ qualifiers that we went to that was um, over two or three days and – they knew that this place was just so nice and beautiful that they even took us for our meetings down at the beach. So they put up an umbrella and we sat down on the beach and we went through our meetings and oh, it was just unbelievable. It was an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous country.
0: It really sounds like just an amazing experience to yeah. have as well.
1: Yeah, you go you go to places like that and you're like, am I really here to ref? Like, <laughs> you know, this doesn't seem like work to me. It seems like more of a holiday. Um, but then, you know, you get on court, you do, do your job, what you're supposed to do, um, uh, refocus again. Um, and then luckily, uh, at the end of the day, you get to sort of see the sights a bit. Um, but as long as you get on court, do your job, um, and focus when you have to focus, um, yeah, you're sweet.
0: Is there a big difference from doing a three on three game to the, you know, the game
1: that we know today? Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a big difference. Um, you know, there are two actual difference, um, Different types of games, you know, one's full court, one's half court, um, but probably the biggest difference is um, so five and five is probably for a referee more physically demanding, where three x three is more mentally. Yeah. Um. There because it's so it's so much quicker. Um. There's a lot more decision making you've got to um, make. Um. And the probably the other big thing would be the physicality in the game. Yeah. Um. So in three x three. 3x3, we let those um, bumps go. Um, players um, are looking for the contact to be made where on 5 and 5 where that contact's made, 9 out of 10 times a whistle's going to be blown. Um, so I find it a lot more enjoyable for 3x3. It's a lot more entertaining um, but, I mean, it's each to their own. Some people don't like it. Um, they think it's, you know, a bit of jungle ball but, I mean, that's up to them. Um, I still love both 5 and 5 and 3x3. But um, I chose the 3x3 path and, um, yeah, I'm absolutely enjoying it.
0: So can I ask about that one event that was a three-on-three tournament, let's say, and it was was something that the world will always remember. What was that?
1: Yeah, it would probably be, uh, speaking of the uh, Tokyo Olympics um, that I just recently came back from, Um, fantastic opportunity, fantastic experience. So, of course, COVID put a, you know, negative spin on everything, um, unfortunately. But, you know, I found out two years ago that I was going to go. Um, and since then, I was planning planning to go, putting everything in preparation. Uh, so, it was just unfortunate, though, that, you know, we had to get tested every single day. We were in a bubble. Um, there were so many restrictions. But once you hit court, it was like... Any other game, um, they still made a, a fantastic atmosphere. Try to get the crowd, in, well, the so-called crowd involved. Um, you just knew there was that little bit missing, though, and that was more. I had a lot of Japanese games, um, and you just knew if there was a crowd involved, that would just be that one step up again. Um, but the the locals were fantastic, so friendly. Would do anything for you. Um, the food, unfortunately, we weren't allowed to eat together or anything like that. Wow, that's strange. Yeah, just the restrictions. We weren't allowed to see other sports as well, which you know put a bit of a downer on it. But if it was just all about the going on court and refereeing, it was it was great. Um, we had a core group that. We had the same group from the Olympic qualifiers, so we had been to two previous tournaments before the Olympic Games and we just worked so well together. We got along really great. We're always there to help each other Um, and we're from five different continents, so it was just good that we just fit together. We were so consistent over the board and, um, yeah, we're we're really close friends.
0: So we'll talk about the off-court stuff first, I suppose. So are you in the village? What's what's the day-to-day, you know, Life of a ref at the Olympics, I mean, it, it's something. And, and of all things, it's these Olympics as well. What's it like? Can you tell me what your schedule was almost a bit, what you'd do every day?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, fortunately, no, we didn't stay at the um, village, um, which, you know, by the sounds of things, they were sleeping on cardboard boxes. So, <laughs> I was happy with a, um, you know, a king-size bed in a hotel room. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we would wake up in the morning um, and you would have to get tested straight away. And then you had to get temperature checked as well. So if you were over 36.5 degrees or something like that, you got sent back to your room and you had to isolate and get tested again straight away. So you had to come back negative every single day. So once that was done, uh, you had to get breakfast but everything was in our rooms. Um, We got an allowance that we could use an app like, you know, good old Uber Eats and we had to just order everything in once uh, that was done um, and you're ready to go to the to the venue, we get on the bus and then bus to the venue. As soon as we get to the venue, temperature checked again. and uh, I mean you know mind you, this is like 38 degrees hot and humid as well. so you know <laughs> you're always thinking in the background oh am I going to come back um, you know uh, with the temperature? Once you go through there, you uh, end up starting planning for your games. So you find out what game you've got, you start scouting your teams, um, you start looking on court, um, you know, having chats to your referee partners. You end up doing anywhere between one to five games a day. It just depends on your performance, um, what countries are playing as well. And then, uh, yeah, so you're pretty much there for the whole day. Um, you always watch every game. Yep. Like even if you're not on it, you watch the game not only to scout the teams but to support your partners as well. And then um, at the end of the day we get back on the bus and straight back to your hotel room, uh, door locked, see you later till tomorrow. Um, an yeah an
0: incredibly thorough process I think <laughs> I've got out of that and you've, you've done really well not just physically to do all this, but mentally as well, I can imagine.
1: It was definitely mentally draining. Um, you know, it did come a bit like Groundhog Day. Mm. Um, it was just morning we didn't get to go to the opening ceremony. We had tickets, but they got ripped up. Um, but what we did is we all watched it in our rooms and we just had like a Zoom live feed going on. So yeah. um, we all sort of watched it together. But, um, yeah, just not,
0: not live. <laughs> And that really speaks to the strength that you guys had together as well. I suppose we should talk about the positives now. Well, I mean, what was it like on court? You talk about not having a crowd and everything in the games. Can you talk us through what it was like, what you were doing there? I mean, because we weren't there.
1: Yeah, so, like, as soon as you stepped out on court, like, you, there were so many rules you had to obey with the, um, you know, not only – COVID aspect but you know television rights and stuff like that so as soon as you hit on court you you had to make sure that you obeyed their rules and their procedures but then you know after that you then had to referee uh the game as well so you know we we did our introductions um we made sure that you know if balls went out of court we had to make sure we got a brand new ball each time um we had to wear our masks in you know certain areas and stuff like that but honestly once the game started. It's like you just forgot everything. You were just there to do a job. You refereed it to the best of your ability. Um, and then when the game was finished, all of a sudden you walked out of court and you're like, wow, I just no a, a game at the Olympics. And, yeah, it just seemed so surreal.
0: So I know you talked about that atmosphere early and, you know, not having people there. How did that atmosphere come through? Because you understood how big these games were, especially the Japanese ones. How did they build it up?
1: So um, with 3X3 as well, we've um, always had background music um, as an entertainment um, aspect of it. But they also had, um, so you had your MCs as well, like your court announcers and, you know, they always spoke throughout the game. Um, And then you also had like, you know, um, the background noise, you know, a, a fake crowd and stuff like that. But there was a lot of volunteers um, as well and there was a lot of uh, other teams that were allowed to watch. So even though there was no crowds, there was still a crowd. Do you
0: have a favourite game that you officiated at? Like was there one that you're always going to remember from the Olympics like that was just amazing?
1: Uh, Yeah, there was a um, girls' Japanese game that I refereed and they they were the underdogs and they end up winning. uh, It was either by one or two points and... Just their emotion because they were a good bunch of girls. They played hard but they played fair. Um, You know, they would ask about a call, you would give them an answer and they would just accept it. Like they were a good bunch of girls and to win from, you know, because they were the underdogs was just, yeah, it was a really good feeling that we went out there, we refereed really well um, and the best team won on the day.
0: Is that the most rewarding thing sometimes for a ref when that happens?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we get criticised a lot as referees. Um, you know, 50% are never going to be happy with a call that you make. Um, but we came off that game and even though the top, well, so-called top team, the team that was supposed to win, um, lost, I mean, they still said that we did a great job and they were really happy. So, you know, just that, just that feeling that, you know, you've gone out there and everyone's happy. I mean, what else can you ask for? We'll
0: we'll quickly go off topic for a second because it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Officials can sometimes cop it, but is there also positive as well? Do you get some positive feedback sometimes? And I guess if there is none, does it just simply build resilience a little bit in in you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot tougher uh, when you're younger and growing up um, when you've got Coaches, players, um, and especially spectators, just giving you you know hell for a bad call, and I mean it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a bad call. It just means that they think it is in their opinion, and that's something that I um, I definitely learnt throughout my refereeing crew that just because they think it's wrong doesn't mean it necessarily is. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that just actually don't know the game. Uh, they don't know the rules. And so, you know, you have to sort of trust your instincts and you've got to have confidence in yourself that, you know what, you're actually doing the right thing um, and keep it going. I have um, pretty good communication and pretty good relationships with a lot of players and coaches and, I mean, there's been some games where I've rocked up and they're like, oh, thank God you're here. And, you know, to hear that, I mean, that's, that's a really good feeling that you're actually appreciated in the refereeing community.
0: Yeah, and that would, and that's such a—I can imagine—such an uplifting moment for you at that point, especially with some of the stuff that you you can cop. Was being a ref for the first three-on-three tournament at Tokyo—it didn't it make it even more special, I suppose. You know,
1: it definitely made it special because you know you were the first to go in this three x three tournament um, Olympics. Uh, however, it was a lot more pressure as well um, because. There's a lot of people that don't know this game um, at all. So we had to make sure that we – so we had to make sure that we did a great job out there to show everyone that, you know, we're a true sport, we're here to stay um, and we, you know, we wanted people to fall in love with it. We definitely succeeded. Um, from all the feedback that we got um, across the world, uh, yeah, we we definitely succeeded in that, which which is great to great to know. Um, and luckily for us, you know, we get to go to the Commonwealth Games in three x three, and we also you know get to perform in twenty twenty four again.
0: What do people not understand about three on three? Because it is the lesson, no one, I think it's fair to say compared to your traditional one, but. Is there a misunderstanding? Am I I even misunderstanding saying that? You know what I mean? What is the common misconception about three-on-three?
1: I think because, you know, back 10 odd years ago, 3x3 was street ball. So they just think it's like a a social, you know, grounding where, you know, there's just three players out there just chucking a ball up, um, you know, and the first team to 21 wins. They don't actually realise the structure behind it. Um, they also don't realise the fitness that the players need. Um, I've had five and five players play a 3x3 game and within two minutes they're like, get me off because they're just so exhausted because the game is just continuously going. Um, but, I mean, just the skill level um, and the gameplay, you know, there's a lot more thinking involved um, and I just don't think people understand it just yet. Um, but it's, it's actually quite funny that the people that actually do turn into 3x3, all of a sudden they're like, wow, this is great. So, yeah, hopefully more people get involved, especially in Australia, but, you know, each to their own and we'll just have to wait and see.
0: And why should people play 3-on-3? Three three?
1: Oh, I just think it's this really exciting game. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've never actually played it myself. Um, I've only refereed it. But, I mean, you know, just refereeing it is just so exciting um, and it's just so entertaining. And, you know... There's just no break involved. They're just continuously going, um, you know, mentally it's challenging. Um, But, you know, it's just another challenge for me to um, try and succeed.
0: I guess going back to the Olympics now and everything, did you ever get sick of quarantining or, I mean, do you know how long you've even quarantined for with all this process? Because... Again, this is just showing me a real resilience to you because it's not just the encore, the stuff that you cop sometimes. It's not just the patience and the you know the mental you know side of it and how much you have to think as a ref. I mean, talk to me about quarantine.
1: So yeah, it definitely took its toll um, probably the last uh, so since uh, July, so the last three months with the qualifying tournaments, Olympic qualifying tournaments and then the actual Olympics. Those last three, three months, it it was tough. Um, I end up doing six weeks' worth of quarantine between Ooh. the the three different tournaments. So I went to Austria and Hungary. Luckily I was able to go to one country or the other. I came back um, to Australia, quarantined for two weeks. Um, I then was in uh, Adelaide for three weeks. I then went to the Olympics Um, and we pretty much were in a bubble then anyway, so, uh, it was pretty much in lockdown. Um, and then after there, I traveled back to Sydney, was in there for another two weeks, um, and then came back to Adelaide and had to do another two weeks again. So the second, the second lot, um, in Adelaide that, that was tough. Um, and if you asked me about week three, I would be, was this really worth it? ask me now i'll say yes but yeah it was definitely mentally getting to me um it was tough um but you know luckily i had a lot of support with friends family people contacted me every single day i mean i had friends that sent bottles of wine to the hotel room to (laughs) to get me through it It does Um, have some benefits (laughs) exactly they were absolutely god saviors so Um, And then even um, people here in, you know, BSA, they sent me games to review and stuff like that. So, you know, they definitely kept me busy. Um, And, yeah, if it wasn't for my friends and family, it it would have been a hell of a lot harder.
0: Do you have any tips for anyone that may have to go into quarantine just to how to get through it? Alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. no, honestly, like you need, you need to keep yourself busy. Um, you need to try and get yourself into a routine. Luckily for me, I was able to work. So I worked a lot more than what I was probably should have. But I mean, it kept me busy. Um, you know, there's only so much, you know, Netflix and so many books you can read and stuff like that. But I found that if you got yourself into a routine, you know, you had your dinner at a certain time did your so-called dishes and all the rest of it. If you tried to keep that routine, um, it it did go a lot quicker. Um, But, yeah, you definitely got to try and keep yourself busy.
0: I have a tough question for you, next. Do you think female referees have it tougher? And if it is true, how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, female referees definitely um, do it a lot tougher um, than the male referees. Um, The amount of times growing up to, you know, to just the other week, hearing you only got this because you're a female referee. It happens constantly. I even have the young ones coming up to me, um, you know, because they're getting bullied by male referees, you know. Um, you know, this is a male sport and all the rest of it. It, it, it is really tough and it does get to you. Um, you need to be strong. you got to realise that you are as good as anyone, anyone else. Um, I had a lot of people... Tell me that, you know, I'm only here where I am because, you know, I am a female. But, I mean, I think my resume speaks for itself. You keep on working hard. Um, just forget it about these people because I continue now, majority of it is just jealousy and they just wish that, you know, they were in your shoes. Um
0: Is it fair to say that put a chip on your shoulder and made you want to succeed as well?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, I used to take it to heart um, a lot more um, growing up but now I actually find it quite comical um, that even still I heard last week that, you know, a female comment regarding me and it's like really still like how many times do I have to prove myself? But it's like, you know what, that's fine. I'm going to keep on growing. I'm going to keep on succeeding Um, and, you know, If they don't want to – if hang on. And if they want to continue with it, then that's that's their issue. Um, We're going to have – we've got a good core group of female junior referees coming through the ranks. Um, I know that myself and a few other female referees um, are going to work hard with them and uh, we're going to support them as much as we can. Uh, we've got Women's um, women's and Whistles program um, that we use that, you know, we have uh, courses and meetings um, and we go through certain situations. We're going to get them stronger um, and we're going to get a good bunch of female referees um, and they're going to succeed in South Australia.
0: And I guess the other important part of this is how can the basketball community improve this? How can we work on this? Because – this is clearly something you're very passionate about and it needs to be addressed. What can we at the basketball community do to help?
1: Probably, um, you know, realise that, you know, th- this isn't the old days where, you know, this is a male-dominant sport. Like, you know, there is a lot of successful female referees, female players, female coaches out there. Um, and and probably at the, the higher level, um, we really need a support um these people these not only junior female referees but you know senior female referees that are still copying um that criticism um we need as much support and actually put a stop to it um you know get to these people and say look it's not on um you know they're here for a reason they've worked hard just like anyone else um you know we we need to put a stop to it because it it is it's bullying. That's what it is. It's actually bullying, and we need to put a stop to it.
0: All right, well, it's been a great interview so far. So let's get into some fun ones to end this. I guess who's your favourite player in the WMBL? Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: Everyone wants to know who's the ref pet.
1: <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say a pair. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good with players. Um, yeah. You know, have a good relationship. Um, as for, like, someone who, com- who will communicate well and, you know, accept you and, um, you know, a good player as well, very very good to watch, I probably like Steph Talbot. Yeah. Um, Steph, if you're listening, <laughs> 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 i got your game next week. No. Um, yeah, no, nah, she's uh, yeah, she's easy to get along with um, and she'll accept your yeah, answers. She'll help you as well if you've got a problem with someone in the team, which is really good, so.
0: Who was your basketball inspiration?
1: Um, so as a referee, I looked up a lot to Carolyn Zachlos. Um She refereed WNBA over in America. She was an NBL uh, men's referee and yeah, she, she was tough. She was really strong. She was really confident and yeah, definitely growing up, I looked towards her and then when I started going through um, more and more opportunities, um, she became a mentor of mine and yeah, she, uh, you know, gave me a lot of tips throughout my refereeing career.
0: Do you have a favourite WNBA all team or a WNBA team? Is it hard to have a favourite team as a ref?
1: Um, yeah. I, I actually don't really have a favourite team at all. I mean, even growing up, I never really was like, okay, I'm going to go for this team. I was just watching the game. Um, so I can't say, you know, it's, it's Adelaide, it's Sydney, it's whoever. I, I really don't have a favourite team. As for um, the WNBA I don't really follow the girls or the guys. Um, I find it is actually quite different to what, um, you know, what we referee here in Australia. Um, so, yeah, I just I just watch the games. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you have a favourite official that you love working with or is there just one that you look up to or a great friend even?
1: Um, yeah, see, that's a tough one as well because... Each referee I- is different um, and they bring something different on court. I mean, you know, you could ask me about the 3x3 referees um, and I'll have something different than a 5-on-5 five five referee, um, you know, a WMBO referee to a MBO one referee. It's it's all different um, and, you know, if they're listening and I don't say someone's <laughs> name, I might get in a bit of trouble as well. So,
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true ref. <laughs> <laughs> if you could officiate anywhere in the world, where would it be?
1: I want to officiate over in America. Yeah. I want to referee 3x3 over in America. Um, Like I said, I'm not really into the style of the um, WNBA or the NBA. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to referee a 3x3 tournament over in America. Um, That would definitely be a goal for mine.
0: Do you have a favourite band or song?
1: Um, So my favourite song is Kokomo by The Beach (laughs) Boys. But my favourite band is um, probably Coldplay.
0: Lovely. Do you have a favourite rule? I know that's probably a strange question but is there something that you really enjoy like, oh, I love calling that one? (laughs)
1: Um, So it's actually funny. Um, I've actually got a bit of a a name for it. So um, it's a (laughs) three-second rule. So it doesn't get called much in Five on Five um, but in 3x3. It's very quick. Like if you were in there, you call it. And bringing back to my five on five game... ...I actually call it a lot more than other people because of this. and I even had – there was a WNBL game and I actually had one of the um, the coaches say, you are known for this call. <laughs> Can you at least make sure you call it <laughs> down the other, end, the other end? And I'm just like, look, I'm known for the call. So if it's down there, I am on top of it. So, yeah, so no, nah, I, I love the three-second rule. So I wish it was called more than five. Do you know exactly
0: how many rules are in the book? I mean, do you – I mean, how much do you study the rules even?
1: Oh, you know what? I should know this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have said this into a it's, microphone.
1: <laughs> it's like there's so many articles and everything and then you've got the interpretation. So there, there is like so many rules um, and so many interpretations of the rules and stuff like that. So um, as for reading the rule book, as sad as it is, if I go to a tournament while I'm on a plane, I actually do read the rule book. Um because you never know when you get quizzed, and especially going to these um, high-profile tournaments, if you get a, a a wrong, I mean, you will never let it live it down. I mean, you're costing countries games. So, yeah. So I'm definitely um, trying to get my rule knowledge up to scratch and read as much as I can. So,
0: how do you get past a bad call?
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm probably my hardest critic, yeah. um, you know, I know when I've made a bad call um, and, you know, in the past, you know, I used to dwell on it and, you know, and then that will affect the rest of my game. So now I just say to myself, like, you got to get over it, move on, you've got the rest of the game to go. So I sort of smack my leg and, um, you know, you've done it, now move on. So um, and, you know, it does the trick. So you just sort of got to talk to yourself and just remember you're human um, referees make mistakes um, and, you know, just like players and coaches. So, you know, you've made a mistake, that's fine, time to move on.
0: Is there a rule that you find which is incredibly difficult or is there something that you wish, oh, I wish there wasn't so much grey area in this one?
1: Yeah, um, the unsportsmanlike one um, can be tough at times as well um, just with, you know, um, the different criterias you know, what may look like a hard foul? Is it really a hard foul? Um, you know, the breakaway foul that, you know, if someone ac- accidentally ki- clips their back foot, I mean, you know, yes, it's a foul, they, it wasn't deliberate, but you still got to call it unsportsmanlike. So that one's definitely really tough. Um, even with the last two minutes, um, you know, deliberately fouling, you know, you just really have to read the play. They may not think they're deliberately doing it. The rule book says you are. So, yeah, that's probably the toughest call um, for me that, um, yeah, I, I, I find not liking to call but um, call it when I have to. Uh, the other ones is travels as well. I mean, you know, some players are just so quick on their feet but you just got to make sure you I, I identify that pivot
0: What's your biggest tips for anyone who's thinking about becoming a
1: ref? If you love it, go for it. Um To succeed as a good referee? So, there's probably a couple of things. Um, One is to have good communication, um, positive communication as well. Um, But, number one thing for me is to be humble. Um, You know, accept responsibility of when you do make mistakes um, and then work on those mistakes. Don't repeat them, um, learn from them.
0: And, I guess, lastly, why should people get into basketball and decide to take the ref pathway? Because it is a rare one, but we always need them.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, for a lot of people as well, I mean, you know, everyone wants to be, you know, num- go to the NBA and be the number one, you know, basketball player in the world. But some people it's just not going to happen. Um, and, you know, at least refereeing is a different pathway as well to, you know, get some somewhere in a basketball career. I mean, I know for me I wasn't half bad of a player but I knew that I wasn't going to play for Australia or anything like that and... Um, but referee definitely took me places. Um, and, you know, you still get to do something that you enjoy.
0: Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. It's been an absolute honour to listen to your story. It's been really eye opening, I think is the best way to put it. And I really hope your words can inspire the next generation of reps. And I think it will because it's been one a heck of a journey. It's taken you to all different places of the world. And I imagine you've gone through things that you would have never have thought of before all this started. So, again, Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for having me I that
0: Such an amazing story, isn't it? It had highs, it had lows, and she just takes it. She's incredibly resilient, and I think that's what I get about it, just the resilience to be the ref and, you know, wanting to teach the next generation. It was absolutely amazing. So I hope this got you inspired to go down to your local club or even just being a ref, anything like that. It'll be great to see you down there and join our great community. Thank you so much for listening thank you for listening i've been your host Braden green and i was joined by my technical producer ashley mcfadden this was a smashed gnome production tune in next time this was a smashed gnome production